Great to be with you this Easter Sunday. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at 12 verses this morning. Uh, really, just 12 verses that, um, if you believe them, will change your life forever. And just really, really, really a remarkable story. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you, and I would encourage you to get it out and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially uh, if you read it on a regular basis. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Pastor Sean. I know some of you are like, I have never seen you in a suit jacket before, and uh, I generally don't wear them, but I had to wear one when I was preaching in the country of Jordan. And I liked it. So you might be seeing more of it, okay? I was like, hey, I'm not wearing buy this jacket to wear it once. So, uh, so it's great to have you. Uh, incredible text of Scripture. So here we go. Luke chapter 24. Follow along with me. Incredible, incredible story. On the first day of the week. By the way, this is why the New Testament church worships on Sunday. Corporate worship, right? On the first day, there was the resurrection of Christ. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. And the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths they by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened i'll tell you before we jump in this morning let's pray over the word of god father thank you for your word it doesn't change it's eternal it's life-giving, it's hope-giving, and I pray, God, for all of us as we hear your word this morning and we're reminded of these truths, oh God, would you transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I encourage you, if you're new to Coastal, we have on the back of your bulletin a note sheet. You always kind of remember more of the things that you write down. About this time last year, uh, we hosted a conference uh, called Refuel, shameless plug. We're hosting it again this year, May 9th. Uh, it's geared towards pastors, but really anybody can come. So if you want to come or you know a, a church leader in the community, it's Tuesday, May 9th, Refuel Conference. It's really, really excellent. We have some great breakout sessions. But last year when we hosted the conference, the night before, there were some speakers that had come into the community from out of town. Of course, we wanted to be good hosts, so we took them out to dinner, and it's mostly preachers. We're out to dinner, and, and we're 
swapping some wild preacher tales, you know, preacher stories, which you already know, don't, not sure if you can believe them anyway. And, uh, and so uh, one of our pastors came late to our dinner because he had things to do, and that was Pastor Cliff Bowen, okay? And so Cliff Bowen has been a pastor on our staff now for a couple years, and for those of you who don't know, he's our campus pastor at Yorktown. Uh, he runs day-to-day operations for us, does an incredible job. What you may not know is that Pastor Cliff, before he came on staff with us, is now the retired chief of police and spent an entire lifetime in law enforcement. And so he saddles up to the preacher telling dinner story, and he begins to tell stories of his own. You ever been at dinner with that person that every story they tell is so much better than yours, you're just like, I I got nothing to say, right? And so... We heard tales of chasing down bad people. And I was like, I'm wide-eyed, like, this is amazing. And then he followed that with high-speed chases. And I'm like, wow, you know, we're all just wild. He follows that with he one time delivered a baby in a car, you know, and you're like, you know, and so, you know, I begin to grow insecure, right? And I'm like, I've got to one-up him, you know? And so what I did is I was like, well, that's nothing, Cliff. Um, Guys, let me tell you something. One time I was... um, preparing a message and and usually my messages have three points three main points but on this particular study day i decided to go wild and crazy go i'm gonna make a four-point sermon isn't that awesome you know and you have these moments in your life you're like man is my life making a difference at all after hearing pastor cliff tell great story after great story you know on the Christian calendar, Easter's kind of the biggie, right? We're all like, oh, we, we know we have to go to church and we should do something on Easter. But uh, the question is, does it really make a difference on Monday, right? Because if it doesn't, it can, Marty, Marty just summed up my sermon. All right, let's close in prayer and go home. So, um, yeah, of course it makes a difference. But if it doesn't, maybe maybe we've got misplaced expectations, right? If, if your expectation, if you don't understand what this day is really about on the Christian calendar and why we celebrate it, Monday, Easter will leave you disappointed. Tuesday, Easter will leave you disappointed. It really is the proper understanding of what we're doing for Easter to, re- like, I like to call it Resurrection Sunday, for it to really make a difference on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and really the whole scope of your life. So I do want, I did keep this to a three-point sermon. I didn't go wild and crazy and make it a four-pointer, all right? So here we go. Point number one this morning. The angel in this story reminds me to look for life in the right places. Resurrection means we're no longer looking for life among the dead. I think one of the most powerful lines in this incredible appearance of the angels to these women that show up to the tomb is in Luke chapter 24, verse 5. It says, And as they were frightened, so these angels show up, they're frightened, they bow down their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, we still do that today, actually, right? That you know, we're trying to find life, and I'm talking about like fulfillment in our lives among dead things. Things that are dead cannot give you life. And in fact, Jesus made these incredible claims in John chapter 14. In fact, as you know, as I was kind of investigating the gospel and the claims of Christ in my own life, it was this John chapter 14, 6 verse, verse that just made me pause and meditate on this idea of who Jesus claimed to be. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this, 
Jesus said, I am the way. Listen, what that means is if you're, if you're looking for how to navigate life, if you're looking for purpose in this life, it's not a political party. I only got one amen on that one. All right, listen. They're all going to disappoint you. Right? If you want to figure out how to navigate life, Jesus said, I am the way. The world tells you truth is your own. You get to make it up and believe what you want. But that's not what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way. What else did Jesus say? Let's get that verse back up on the screen. Jesus said what? I am the truth. I'm the truth. It's, not, it's not everybody to each their own. Jesus says, I am the truth. And number three, and this is where I want to land for a moment here this morning, you can't find life in the dead things. You have to find life in things that are living. And Jesus overcame the grave, and he's not just a, a martyr who died on the cross. He's a resurrected Savior. And therefore, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. What's number three, church? I am the what? I'm the life. There's no other way to God, he said except through me. And so, so now let me circle back, and let me make a couple sub-points here that I hope encourage you and challenge you this morning. One of the apostles, and we get this from some of the other gospels about the resurrection events that peered into that empty tomb was the apostle John. And the apostle John writes this in a letter uh, to some churches in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Check this out. He says, do not love the world He's not talking about people here. He's talking about influences and the things that we pursue and the things that we, we go after. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, and he lists three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then John says something really important. For the world is, what's it say it out loud, church, together here, for the world is what? That means it's dead. It's part of the dead things that we try to find life in. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You are not going to find life in the things of the world. And John's very specific about what they are. Letter A, right? He says it's physical pleasure. Right? I'm just going to go after the things that make me happy. I'm going to be consumed with pleasing me. I, I want to get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. Drunk, high, or whatever else that means for us, if you're going to pursue that in the world. Listen, church, that's the dead stuff. You're not going to find life there. You can't pursue the things of the world. Secondly, John says, it's the desires of the eyes. Right? Man, I look at it and I want it. This really goes back to the very first sin, right? So God places man, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. He says, you can eat everything in this garden is yours. Eat from anything that you want to except one tree. I want you to leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, sin enters the world, and rebellion against our Creator. And so it says, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was what, church? A delight to the... Man, that looks nice. Wonder why God kept that from us. And that tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took its fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Here's the deal, ready? The desires of the eyes is things like newer, 
shinier, faster, bigger. Never, 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 this is the world screaming at you, never, 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 never be satisfied with what you have. It needs to be faster and newer and bigger. I'll show of hands, ready? And I'll raise my hand on this one. How many of you have a room in your house that you almost never set foot in? How many of y'all have one of those, right? A couple of you. Surprisingly, with as out of shape I am, mine is the dining room. I found you don't need to be, eat ice cream in the dining room, okay? Like you need it anywhere. It's fantastic. But, uh, so, uh, but like, and I sometimes look at that room and I'm like, I have borrowed money and taken on debt for a room I almost never set foot in. You ever think about that? Like, some of you are like, I never thought about that. Now I'm super disappointed in my house. So, if, if, so the culture, we have entire marketing departments throwing at you the idea of don't be satisfied with what you have. You need newer, bigger, shinier, faster. I remember... Um, the first time I bought a flat screen TV, now you young people won't know this, but flat screen TVs used to be expensive, you know, like, and so there was a time they were kind of new, right? And, and, uh, and now you go to Walmart and you bring like 300 bucks and you walk out with something like this, you know, and they don't have, that's new, but, and so I was saving up for my first flat screen, you know, I finally got to the price point that I wanted and I bring this flat screen home just in time for the first football game of the year, NFL, you know, I watch kickoff on Sunday, in my, easy, my lazy boy chair, and I'm watching football, my new flat screen, and then Thursday night football rolled around, and you know what I thought of on Thursday night football when I was looking at my flat screen TV? You know what I thought? Marty had the same thought. I should have got a bigger one. You know, like, it took four days to become disappointed with my new stuff, right? Like, doggone it. I should have saved more money, right, and gotten a bigger one. Listen, it's because stuff doesn't give you life, Newer, bigger, shinier, faster. All we do, we live in a culture, and by the way, the culture wants you to incur indebtedness to get it, right? And Proverbs tells us that if we have debt, the, 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 we are a servant to the lender. We become slaves to our debt. Anybody feel that this morning? You don't have to show your hands, but I'm sure some of us are, right? Like, man, I'm working, working, working for this debt. Why? Because we think newer, shiner, bigger, faster. There's no life in that stuff. The world is passing away. It's dead stuff. Let her see. I got to move along here. Pride in our achievements, right? Man, look at my success. Look at me. Some of you are you're losing your family because you're pursuing success. And by the way, who, who are you trying to impress? And we're trying to be successful, so people sit back and go, wow, look at you. Can I just tell you something? And this is, I'll, I'll, I'll blame it on me, but it's probably true for everybody in, in this room. Most of us are not that impressed with your success because we're too self-consumed to think about you anyway. Isn't that true? Like, I think about you for a minute, and then I got my own problems, you know? Like, okay. Like, and so you're, 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 you're slaying your life on the altar of achievement, thinking we're all wild and we're all just going, oh, that's nice. We think about you for a moment and then we're moving on. Why? Because it's part of the world. It's part of the dead stuff. There's no life in the dead stuff, okay? And so the world throws at us perspectives, thought processes that are not biblical. And by the way, when you, when you pursue Jesus, I call it opposite world. Jesus has us think differently than the rest of the world because the world's going to tell you, hey, if you're not happy with your spouse, come home and get a new one. Right? That's not what Jesus 
The Bible doesn't teach you that your spouse is for your happiness. Your spouse is for your holiness. Amen, Marty. You got a good spouse, Marty. What are you talking about? So, like, oh, good. <laughs> anyway, you're probably making her holy. She's dying to herself and loving you. So, anyway, uh, right? The, the the world will tell you, man. You want you're in love. Just have a physically intimate relationship. It's the opposite of what Jesus taught. Like. He wants us to wait till marriage. The world will tell you, don't be generous with your money. Don't give your money away. What are you, nuts? And Jesus says, watch, give your money away. Watch, see if I don't bless your socks off. And, we became, and the reason is we're, we're people that are searching for life in things that won't last. The world is passing away and all that it offers. And so the resurrection of Christ reminds me to take my eyes off the temporal and look to the eternal I no longer have to find life in things that won't last. I find life in Christ who is risen, risen indeed. Okay, number two. Here we go. I'm going to move quickly. Second point this morning. Resurrection reminds me that Jesus told us so. It's the Jesus I told you so. And so for those of you who don't, and I'll use this phrase a couple times in this sermon. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a, uh, in baseball, there's a story. It's not sure to whether or not to be true, but apparently at some point in baseball history, Babe Ruth called his own shot. There was a big game. He pointed to where he was going to hit a home run, and then he hit a home run there, right? And uh, he called his own shot. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. Jesus Christ called his own shot. Amen. Jesus Christ told us so, right? This is pretty amazing. So check this out. In Luke chapter 24, verse 6 through 8, it says, so the angels say to these ladies who show up at the tomb, he's not here, he's risen, they say something really important. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, can I just pause for a minute? And by the way, we're going to look at a text where Jesus said this to his followers, like literally just a few days before it all happened. You would think if someone said, listen, I'm going to die and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. You might just shelve that one away, right? Like, I might try to remember that. It's amazing how quickly we forget the words of God, isn't it? Like, it, it just goes out of our mind somehow, and we need to be reminded. And so in verse 8, it's like, oh, and they remembered his words. And so they show up to the tomb, letter A, he's not here. Why is he not there? Because Jesus doesn't hang out with dead things. Jesus is life. It's the same point as I made before, right? Jesus isn't going to cooperate with the world. He thinks, and he calls us to think, the opposite of the rest of the world. He's not here. Letter B, Jesus is risen. That means he conquered the grave. That means he took care of our greatest and last enemy, death. That means he has shown himself victorious. That means he has the right to rule your life. To know Jesus is to bow a knee to his kingship, his lordship. He is the vanquishing, conquering, risen king of kings and lord of lords. Of course he's not among the graves. Amen, church? He's alive. And let her see, Jesus is risen, and he told you so. Incredibly, Jesus called his own shot. He came knowing that he had a mission. 
And if that resurrection isn't enough, Jesus told his followers it was going to happen. He informed the followers many times throughout the Gospels. Here's one of his final reminders to his followers before his death, burial, and resurrection. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Listen how specific Jesus is on what happened to him, what he told his followers. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going to Jerusalem. So in other words, it's literally less than probably two weeks before he was crucified. Hey guys, see, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets... In other words, everything in the Old Testament that's pointing to the Messiah, it's about to happen. And will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This is an incredible teaching of Jesus to his disciples. It's an incredible reminder that we can take Jesus at his word. Amen? Because letter D, man, they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, he did tell us that. They didn't remember it on crucifixion day. They remembered it on angel appearing at the tomb day. Listen. The bulk of our problems in this life is that we don't take God at his word. Let me say that again. The bulk of our problems in this life is we don't take God at his word. And it's weird, even for me, how God's word seems to slip out of my mind and my worldview. It's probably because until Christ comes again, I still sometimes get overwhelmed by the things of the world and try to find life in things that don't give life. And so we need to be regularly reminded of God's word. Because, God, because Jesus is true to his word. If he says it, you could take it to the bank. A couple days before, guys, I'm going to be spit on, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be crucified by the Gentiles, and then three days later, I'm coming back to life. Like, he couldn't have been any clearer what was going to happen. And then he stepped out of his own grave, authenticating his word. Now, there's a couple reasons maybe we don't know God's word. Maybe we don't even know God's word. Like, maybe we've, you've never really read it. Listen, what do I say every single week here? I'm like, take a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, do what? What do I always say? Take that one with you. Why? Because I want you to read the Word of God. Man, I, I know you can get it on your app. I'm a little old school in my personal reading. I just like a book in my hand, okay? But read the Word of God. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you've heard the Word of God, but you, you, you've decided to do it your own way. Like, hey, you know what? I know what God's Word says, but I'm going to do it the way I want. And so for a season, you're out there trying to find life in all the dead things. Physical pleasure. I'm just going to do what I want to do, the way I want to do it, when I want to do it. Stuff, man. I just need to collect stuff. Because stuff will make me happy. If I could just get that boat, man, that boat would make me happy. What do they say about a boat owner's best day of boat owner's life? It's what? Day they bought it and day they sold it. Two best days of boat owner's life. Because like, it can't make you happy, man. It's just one more headache. I'm not saying don't own a boat. I'm just saying you're not going to find life there. Right? Achievements. I just got to achieve. 
and you're, and you're sacrificing everything about your life, your family, just to show off what, how great you are. Maybe that's you, man, and you're doing, you're trying to find life there, and you know God's word, but you're doing it your own way. Listen, God's word is sure, and he punctuated that by doing the unthinkable, by rising from the grave, and he told us first. So if he can rise from the grave, can he sustain you when you're going through a difficult time? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Like, that's true. If the Lord is true to his word, if he stepped out of his own grave, then guess what? John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming again. If he stepped out of his own grave, isn't that true? You ready? He is taking us to a place that is going to be perfect. And you know how long we're going to be there? Forever and ever 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 and ever. And I kept saying ever all the way till lunchtime. It's not, it's just not, it's the beginning of your forever. Mind-blowing, right? Listen, if you buried a loved one this year, and the Word of God tells us that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if you're a follower of Jesus, now lives inside of us, we too will be raised from the dead. If Jesus stepped out of his own grave, isn't that also true? Doesn't that give you hope? First Thessalonians 4 says, for a Christian, it doesn't say that we don't grieve. It says we grieve differently. We grieve with hope. Why do we have hope? Because Jesus Christ called his own shot. And if he was good to that, he is going to be good to every other promise he's ever made. Amen, church? All right, number three. Here we go. And you should clap for that, man. That's great news. Number three, resurrection. We all have a response to the resurrection. Every single one of us in this room has a response to the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, verse 10, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. This is really interesting. By the way, these are the, apostles, these are the guys that followed Jesus for three years. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter... Now, I, I like, sometimes in my private reading, I read the NLT, the New Living Translation, which I really liked as well, okay? So there's a lot of great English translations, and they're all really, really strong, okay? But in the NLT here, in verse 12, it actually says the word, however. So I'm going to substitute that, right? However, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw linen claws by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. When it comes to the resurrection of Christ, man, there's one of two responses. It's an idle tale, letter A. It's an idle tale. It's nonsense. And maybe this is you this morning. Maybe, maybe this whole thing of Christianity is nonsense. It's ridiculous. It's, it's made up. By the way, you're in good company. Because the other disciples who had walked with Jesus, seen the miracles, heard Jesus call his own shot, they're sitting there thinking, this is nonsense. Unless 
unless, unless it's true. If Jesus indeed stepped out of his own grave, then it's a game changer. By the way, these disciples, when they first heard, thought it was nonsense. But upon further appearances of the risen Christ, these 11 guys, and God added the Apostle Paul later, these 12 guys went and turned the world upside down for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of them suffered and died for the cause. Listen, if you were making this story up, there is no way that you would be willing to suffer and die. You would capitulate to save your life. All of them died for the story. I went uh, a couple weeks ago, as you guys know, I got, you guys helped send me to Jordan to see some of the missions work we're doing in Jordan. And one of the days while we were in Jordan, we went to get, go see, uh, we didn't go to Jerusalem, but in Jordan we got to see some of the Old Testament historical sites that would, we would call the wilderness. It's the wilderness side of the journey to Jerusalem. And so we got to see some really cool historical sites. And you want to know what stuck out to me? It's wilderness. Like, there's like nothing there. And we're going to these historical sites where there's nothing in a mountainous desert. And I, you want to know what's blowing my mind? I'm sitting here thinking about you guys worshiping the Lord in Yorktown and the influence and impact of the gospel. And I'm like, how in the world did this message influence the world at the level it has when it came out of nowhere? And I mean literally nowhere. See, God is opposite world. If I was going to impact the gospel, impact the world with a, new, with a religion or a belief system, I would pick the biggest city. God chose a wilderness. And 11 guys who at first when they heard the story go, yeah, this is ridiculous. Isn't it just like God to turn things on his head, right? And out of the middle of nowhere, influence the entire world for the cause of the gospel. And I love Peter's response, because and it's letter B, and I'm going with my NLT, ESV says but, but I put the word however. However, Peter said, I got to go check this out. And he runs, and he sees, and he marvels. Jesus Christ and his resurrection demand a response. Will, will there be doubters? Probably always, although I hope not. Will there be skeptics? Probably always, though I hope not. Will there be questions? Yes. However, some will take the time to investigate the claims of Christ. Some will peer into the empty tomb and wonder, is this true? Did this happen? Did Jesus die for my sins? Did he rise again to, to eternal life? It doesn't matter, guys, what those around you think. It doesn't matter what your friends at school think. It doesn't even matter what your family thinks. What matters is, is this true? Because if it's true, if the tomb is empty, if Jesus called his own shot, then everything about the person and work of Jesus Christ is true. And by the way, when I say person and work of Jesus, what do I mean by that? When I'm talking about the person of Jesus, we live in a world that says, well, Jesus, he, 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 he was a good prophet. He indeed was a good prophet, but that wasn't his claim. Jesus, he's a good moral teacher. He was a good moral teacher, but that wasn't his claim. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God in flesh. Wow. 
And what was his work? He told us what his work was. I came, I lived a perfect life. The life that Adam and Eve messed up with the fruit. The life that I mess up when I'm in rebellion and my shame and my sin leaves me in bondage. He did not do that. He lived a perfect life. This is his work. And then because that he was perfect, he was a perfect substitute sacrifice on the cross where God poured out his wrath for my sin on Jesus instead of me. And then if that was the end of the story, he'd just be a martyr. But instead they laid him in a tomb and three days later he stepped out of his own grave. And if that's true, it changes everything. Amen. It affects your Monday and it affects your Tuesday and it affects your Wednesday. So here's my question. Are you a however? Are you a however? Are you daring enough to investigate the claims and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want to close with the story, and I'm going to bring out the worship team. So I know that's going on behind me, okay? So just stick with me. Come on out, worship team, okay? So we're going to go out singing this morning. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Lee Strobel. Now, a lot of you all probably heard the name Lee Strobel. He's a Christian. He's a uh, really, really well-known author. He's written a ton of incredible books. Um, He's been a pastor. Uh, What you might not know is his backstory. Lee Strobel was actually an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he started on a journey to disprove Jesus and Christianity. He's an athe- he was an atheist, and he, he started on a journey to say that Christianity was a man-made religion, religion. And the reason he did that is his wife had become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as a loving husband, he wanted to prove to her that this thing called Christianity could not be believed. And so Lee Strobel put his degrees, which included a bachelor's degree from the University of Missouri and a master's in law from Yale Law School, and his incredible journalistic skills to work to prove that Jesus Christ, his resurrection and Christianity was a scam. And he was doing this, and he was going to write an article for the Chicago Tribune. Now, for those of you who don't know, the newspaper used to be a big deal. Okay, so this, is back, this was before the internet. This was a big deal. And so with the investigative tenacity of an award-winning journalist, Lee Strobel went to work only to his surprise as he began to do his historical research. The mounting evidence left him with only one conclusion. Jesus Christ was indeed a man who walked the earth. He claimed to be God, he claimed to die for the purpose of paying the debt of sin, and he rose again, proving once and for all that he was and is the Son of God. And with an honest look at the truth, Lee Strobel became a however. I'm in. I'm marveling. I'm transformed. And my prayer for you this morning is that every single one of you would be a however. Because the rest of the world is going to do whatever with Jesus. But you can be a however, a person that wonders, a person that marvels, a person that is ultimately transformed by the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, a person that finds life in all the right places instead of trying to find life among the dead things because Jesus is risen. He called his shot. He's coming again, and he's taught us how to live abundant life now and have the hope of eternal life later. And I suspect 
that many of you in this room, beyond a shadow of a doubt, say, Pastor Sean, I'm already in, I'm a however. Amen? Amen. But I also suspect there's some of you that you got here this morning and you're like, I, got, I don't even, I always said if I went to church, the walls would cave in. And guess what? They didn't. And it's here, and it's no accident that you heard the word of God this morning. And I want you to consider the claims of Christ. I want you to consider the things that you're trying to find life. And I want to ask a question, are you really finding life there? In the pursuit of pleasure. Trying to get stuff. Trying to build up your own little kingdom. Because there's no life there. The world, John says, is passing away. It's the resurrection of Christ where there's life. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. And, and I'm going to invite the, worship, uh, the prayer team up. Prayer team, if you guys come on the screen list, if you're here this morning and you just need prayer before you leave, you had a heavy week, and our prayer team is always available to pray with you. But if you're here this morning and God's working on your heart, you've never, you've been more of a skeptic. You were like the first time that the disciples heard about it. And like, uh... But God's working on you, and you're like, you know what? I want to be a however. I, I want to give you a, an opportunity to pray a prayer, and it's, there's nothing magic in the prayer, man. It's just an opportunity to do business with your creator. He loves you. He cares for you. You're here this morning. It's not an accident. You're tuning in online this morning. It's not an accident. And you can find real life in a living Savior. I would encourage you to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I acknowledge today that I, I've lived my life trying to find life in things that are leaving me empty. Things of the world. It's become clear to me that Jesus is a unique historical figure. God, he, he lived the life I could and he died on the cross for my sin and then he stepped out of his own grave authenticating his claims of indeed being the son of God. And so today, you know what, I, I'm, I'm I want to turn from doing things my own way. I want to turn from my sin and finding life in things that are dead, and I want to turn to the one who gives life, Jesus Christ. I trust that he is who he claimed to be. That he's the resurrection. He's the life. He's the way. I confess I need to be saved from the penalty of my sin, and Jesus is my Savior. Now, there may even be some Christians here this morning that have just, their the gaze and attention of their heart is just turn to worldly things and it's leaving them empty and they're being renewed today and saying, you know what, I need to refix my gaze on Christ. The beauty of following you, O Lord, is the truths of the Word of God are new every morning. We can get up every morning and refix our gaze on Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, God, even as a Christian, I fix my eyes on Christ and Christ alone because He is risen indeed. And we, have, we are worshiping him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.